0: This is the Common Sense Podcast presented by Tamar. I'm your host, Tamar Weinberg, founder and CEO of Tamar, and I will be talking to people of all walks of life who have suffered adversity and overcome to rise above the ashes and now make self-care and wellness an absolute priority. Hi, today it is, we are actually in June. Things are starting to, I guess, normalize to some degree. And I am currently dealing with a different threat the hot weather, (laughs) but I don't think it's so bad for my special guest, Betsy Furler, who is living in the South and is currently making it work in her car with the AC blasting on high because (laughs) that is the one, (laughs) because it's a lot hotter there than it is here. So thank you so, so very much for joining me. Tell me where you really are and... Give me a little bit of background on who you are and all those things.
1: Awesome. So I'm Betsy Furler. I'm the founder of a company called For All Abilities that I'm sure we'll get into later. And I am geographically in Houston, Texas. I'm a native Texan. I was actually born in Dallas, but moved here when I was six years old. And um, my husband's a native Texan, and you know we kind of think we have our own country down here and um, we like to travel outside of the, our little area, but we seem to always be drawn back into the state. Um, Houston is especially hot and humid. And yeah, it's been, um, usually when I run in the morning, it's 96% humidity. And um, then, you know, we're, we're already having temperatures in the 90s. Um, and it's, yeah, it's hot. So I'm in my car in the driveway to try to keep my family from interrupting because we are still staying at home for the most part here. And my kids are done with school, but they are still at home. And my husband is kind of back and forth. Um, and today actually is the first day I will be going into my office since mid-March. So I'm, I'm a little nervous about that. Um, I have a, my oldest son is very, very, seriously medically complex and he has a autoimmune disorder that affects his his neurological system we don't have a name for it and they're still working on some of the diagnostics but he has severe epilepsy and a host of other medical problems so we're very careful about him um, being shielded from the coronavirus as much as we can so we're still being super, super careful. I have to say that you know,
0: before we opened up the podcast, I said you know people are starting to move on from the coronavirus, and maybe that's true in my community. But I definitely need to be mindful that, I mean, you know, we've probably hit had the brunt of it, given my particular out connection to the outbreak. But yeah, I, I definitely need to be mindful that. The rest of the world is still kind of. I think the waves are are potentially could hit you know in a way that's that could be devastating to other communities. So absolutely need to be careful, especially in your case, that you know you shield your son as and yourselves as much as possible. Um, it's it's crazy to me right now as as the country we're, we're in phase one of reopening, which I don't know means much because to me and what I observe is that people are starting to resume their lives in a way that is unfathomable to me. I can't, I can't even fathom like going to places. We still have when people are like, Oh, I'm going out. Where are you going? Where are you going? Like, it's like a, it's like a novelty. And yet, uh, people, I guess, I guess the coronavirus, like for, for some people is still like foreign. It's like, it's never happening. It's, I don't wanna make right. this political, it's a hoax. Of course, we're in the midst of another war right now. Um, I think the stir crazy people are finally out and about in the name of peace and are rioting and looting in ways that are unprecedented. And I'm using that word in a different context here. This is crazy, crazy times. What is it like in Houston right now In in, in that context? Are you dealing with a curfew?
1: I don't think we have a curfew here. We had a riot or a protest yesterday um, 60,000 people strong that was for the most part extremely peaceful and uh, everything evidently went extremely well the um, George Floyd was a Houstonian and so there's a very personal connection with him here so yesterday um, the protest was kind of through downtown Houston there are a lot of buildings being boarded up. And an interesting thing is my husband is a general contractor. He mostly does residential um, remodels, but he has been asked to do a lot of work on boarding up stores, storefronts for different people that he's worked for in the past. So he has been really busy doing that. And there's, you know, of course there are deli- the, the, you know, pallets of bricks and things are being delivered and Dropped off places. So we're getting warnings if you see anything like that, notify the authorities so they can come pick them up. Um, so far, so good here, though. It's been, I was really proud of our city yesterday with how peaceful the protest was. Um, it scares me because of the coronavirus. I think in, here in Houston, we have not seen a decline in cases yet. We haven't had a huge spike, but um, we're definitely we definitely have not seen a decline in cases. And so, to see sixty thousand people gather like that, even outside, and even though many people were wearing masks, it still makes me really nervous. And I have been um, we've in our area. We live pretty close into town. We have been wearing masks in stores any place we go. I actually went to the grocery store yesterday for the first time in months. And um, I would say 95% of the people there had on masks. So that we are also in reopening. We have restaurants are open, I think, at 50% now. Um, haven't been. Don't have any desire to go. We've gotten some takeout. Um, Our Some of our stores are open. Some aren't. Some were open. And now they're closed because of the riots. And it, which makes it all so crazy as well. It's interesting. We're, I, I think we're living in such a historic time and it's so scary and interesting and insightful. I, I was telling somebody the other day, I've learned through all of this, through Corona and now through these protests, I've learned so much about myself and so much about other people. Um both good and bad on both sides. I, I've been really digging into the idea of racism and anti-racism um, and what all of that means and what my role is in all of that. Um, I started my career as a speech pathologist and I did home visits for the first couple of decades as a speech pathologist, so I've been all over both Dallas and Houston in all different types of neighborhoods. One home I went to years ago, I had to have a police escort. I had to go to the police station, literally, and they would drive me over there um, and then they'd wait for me and then they escort me out of the neighborhood, basically. So I've worked with lots of people from lots of different walks of life. Um, I've worked... Um, you know, all day, every day in food deserts where I couldn't find a salad or any vegetables for lunch. Um, And I have a different, um, I think I have a different perspective from your average middle-class white woman. And, And I've always lived in a very diverse community, gone to very diverse schools, had lots of friends of all different races and ethnic origins. And I still feel like I haven't done enough and I'm now looking at what can I do to to actually make some make some traction in the the area of inequality um, that I've seen. That I even see in my very diverse community in Houston. Houston is the most diverse city in the country. It's even more diverse than New York City. And I still see inequities in the schools and what is provided for kids based on their race um, and the income of the neighborhood they're living. And it's devastating to, to see that. And I've, I've been a, been an advocate for it, but I don't think I've been a strong enough advocate. So that's kind of, that's kind of where I am on that issue right now.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. I mean, I, I I'm like at a loss for words, but I do think that you're right. It's very historical. It is something that is an interesting time. It's a scary time but like I do see a silver lining in the fact that it's a historical era. I mean, this is something that we can take, derive so much from uh, sadness and joy and whatever it could be, and share that story and impart those, uh, impart many lessons on our children, our grandchildren. It's scary to say grandchildren, but you know the next generations are going to learn from what we're going through. I mean, we're really in this time where you would think things would have quieted down, but instead there's heightened tensions because of clearly because of something that was a very massive injustice. And I a hundred percent, um, you know, see that. I wonder how many of these protests are really being done in the context of, I, I think that there was injustice done to an individual, or if it's, I, I actually, um, i just can't, Deal with being at home anymore, and it's a good excuse to go out and loot buildings and destroy businesses that already already have been suffering so substantially because of the closures of their businesses. Uh, this is just it's it's insane, and I'm just like I sigh and and I don't know, not in in like desperation on behalf of all of these folks who are, you know, we're all struggling, and this is a struggle that's just going to be postponed, prolongs. It's this is it's just going to be continued for. Who knows? And hopefully, we're all gonna get back to normal. And yeah, for to your point that um, you know sixty thousand people out and about. Uh, I mean, it's it's scary to know are things going to quiet down. Um, I hope that this this is like that was probably you know they say there's gonna be that second wave. Hopefully, we'll we'll find out. But like we haven't heard too much, and hopefully, this is showing that things are quieting down. Hopefully, that's that's what our future looks like and and as this as as messages being shared about black lives matter um continue the corona virus pandemic could be uh i don't know a glimmer in our recent or soon distant past although there's again so much to share and talk about and i do think that there's that's a silver lining because there's so much to learn right now from what we're doing and about people and ourselves as you said so anyhow Yeah. I feel like, and I I say this in a lot of different podcasts, but I feel like everybody's going through some sort of ashes right now and they're rising above. And to that point, I want to ask you, you know, you have, clearly you have a story there. You talked about your son, you referenced him, and I guess that's your story. So I would love to hear a little bit about that, if that's okay.
1: Yeah. So I started my career as a speech pathologist. And I, like I said earlier, I, I did mostly home visits and, and absolutely loved it. Loved getting to know families and communities and, and be a part of families and communities that are really different from what I grew up in. And so I was, I've been doing that for a few years when I had my son, Henry, and he was, um, I had a really, really awful pregnancy with him, real rough everything that could go wrong did, including preterm labor. Then at 28 weeks, I thought he was going to be born. I was actually hospitalized. And anyway, he held on for another eight weeks. He was a 36 weeker, six pounds, seven ounces. So good size preemie, but he immediately started having medical issues. He was re-hospitalized at three weeks of age. And um, the trend just continues. I, I, I say this story that exemplifies Henry's life in the medical community is that when I was first pregnant with him, um, I possibly had a missed twin pregnancy. So, because I appeared to be miscarrying him in the first trimester, but I didn't miscarry him. And due to that and the, my blood work levels and things, I think I that he might have been one of a twin. Um, but so I had obviously a super rough first trimester, but about um, five weeks into the pregnancy and I planned this pregnancy very carefully because back then I thought I had control over this world and I planned this pregnancy down to the minute and I was having some, already having some spotting went into my OB and he said, you women drive me crazy thinking you're pregnant when you're not. And I'd already taken like a hundred pregnancy tests. Like I knew I was pregnant and so having the pregnancy denied like that um, and having a, a clearly a medical professional that I clearly could not continue to see what is kind of been the story of Henry's life. So um, lots of complications, lots of weird stuff happening um, in his life. He's been diagnosed with a whole bunch of different things, misdiagnosed, um, and then had a lot of symptoms. He's ultimately uh, has a autoimmune disorder that causes neurological problems and he has severe epilepsy, but it wasn't until he had autoimmune encephalitis about a year and a half ago that we had finally got around to figuring that out and getting a good treatment for him. So he's actually the best he's ever been now. Um, but the, what I did, so as a speech pathologist, I was, I was a sole practitioner in private practice when he was born and I continued that and um, for yeah really really for quite a few years um, then I ended up starting two separate therapy companies one with partners one on my own um, my my last therapy company I had 11 employees so I was managing that both those therapy companies I literally started in hospital rooms because Henry was hospitalized so much at the time in his, his teenage years that, um, I did, both, I I ran started and ran both those companies from the hospital, and a lot of people think that if you have some kind of major adversity like that, I mean, he's Henry's like you know ten children, um, and the medical stuff and the hospitalizations and constant stress and worry. I say with Corona, you know, everybody else is so concerned about catching things as we are too, but people are also now realizing like you make a life and life and death decision on everything you do. And most people haven't ever thought about that. They've never thought about going to the grocery store as a possible risk or sending your child to school as a possible risk to their health. But with Henry, we've thought about that since he was tiny. So even making a decision to put him in Mother's Day out when he was really little, He's very precocious um, or was very precocious academically and still is like amazing academically and very social. And so we didn't want to hold him back from school, but we knew school could kill him literally at any point. And we have had to make those decisions of what is what is the cost versus benefit of putting him out there in the world with germs, putting him places where if he had a seizure, he could die. Uh, We've made those life and death decisions his entire life, which in some ways has made made building a business much easier for me because I'm used to that level of risk all the time. And I've also been able to really hone my decision-making skills and make decisions very, very quickly. And that helped me both in my therapy practices. And then my current business is a software startup. Um, so I've developed a software tool that helps employers support their employees with ADHD, dyslexia, learning differences, and autism. It, uh, it assesses a person's strengths, needs, and preferences in the workforce. And then it, it prescribes accommodations or supports that they may need to do their job more effectively and more productively. And I have to make decisions quickly. I have to be able to work under pressure because I've had to do that as a mom with Henry his whole life and it's been real easy to move that over into a business. It also helps me from procrastinating because I can't plan that tomorrow I will have as much time as I will today because he could be sick. Um, an example that happened this week is even though he's 22 now and he's gotten to be really independent. And like I said earlier, we're finally on a great treatment for him. He gets IVIG infusions. And normally, um, even pre Corona, we would drop him off at the infusion. He gets them every three weeks. So we would drop him off. And then one of me or my husband and I would go at lunch and take him lunch. And then we would go back and pick him up. Well, since Corona, there have been no visitors allowed. So we've literally just been dropping him off. So I you know on the day of infusion, um, we're just going to drop him off and that's it. And this week,
0: how long, how long is the infusion just out of curiosity? Cause it's a drop off pickup thing.
1: About six hours.
0: Oh, wow. That's long. Okay. All day. Yeah. You're not hanging out with him. That's what I was just wondering there in that context. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay.
1: So this week, right before I was taking him for the infusion, he had a seizure and so suddenly my day looked totally different than what I planned. Um, because I ended up calling the Infusion Center and saying, hey, he had a seizure this morning, he's still super wobbly, I'm gonna need special permission to bring him in. I'm gonna sit with him. Um, so suddenly a day that I thought I had the whole day to get a whole bunch of work done. And I didn't. I ended up I ended up we ended up being there for a couple of hours because once we got there they kind of assessed him and decided that maybe it was not a good day um to do the infusion and we ended up postponing it so now we have we're doing it again on Friday but um it's a perfect example of how my life is where i think everyone's life is really like that but you don't plan for so much uncertainty and when you have a child that's medically fragile like henry is you have to plan for that uncertainty and it makes you more productive and efficient in everything that you do because you're always planning for that uncertainty and you're always ready to just kind of roll with the punches and get stuff done at times where you didn't plan to get it done. And like I said, not procrastinate as much because I can't, I can't rely on the fact that I have the three hours prior to something to get something done and like I, I might have pre being the child of, you know, being the mother of a child with complex medical needs. Um, So anyway, so I started this software company and I'm really passionate about helping people who have ADHD, dyslexia, learning differences and autism. And I also have my own podcast. It's called For All Abilities, which is also the name of my software company. And I interview people who are working successfully with brains that are different who work and think differently or have neurodiversity. Mm -hmm. Um, and often people think that I went into that. I, I developed that passion because of my son, but it's not true. I mean, I already had that passion actually prior. Um, I was working with people with disabilities prior to Henry being born. Um, and, and it's just kind of continued it on and, as I said earlier, Henry's super great academically and actually doesn't have any learning disabilities at all. I mean, he's his limitations are purely medical. Um, and it's a kind of a different ball game. But um I I I do think that having worked through being a mom of somebody so medically complex and also it, it, just from a practical standpoint about with my productivity is been huge. And then the other piece of it that I think makes someone a good entrepreneur is really being able to dig deep in yourself, understand yourself and work on your, your own stuff. And I feel like I've done that more because I've had to, because of the, the adversity we've had with, um, with getting Henry through life, keeping him alive. Um, I've really worked on myself personally, especially over the last few years about what it's like to, what my spiritual journey has been like, and my personal growth journey has been like as his mom. Um, and I wrote a book on it. It's not published yet. I'm, I, I know when the right time comes for it to be out in the universe that a agent or a publisher will appear. So I'm just waiting for that. I've written some other books and self-published and I don't want to self publish this one. I, I think it deserves, um, to be published by a big publishing house and, um, it's, you know, hopefully, hopefully when it is published, it will help others, um, and, and help others understand that some of the, trials and tribulations of being a parent or being a caregiver, caregiving your, your own parents or other, other things that seem unrelated to business are actually what everything in business is about when you're, especially when you're building your own. Right. You know, it's, uh,
0: that's a really interesting perspective because I think that the facts, a lot of people that if they don't have some sort of like personal tie into what they do for a living, it's just not fulfilling. It's not something they appreciate. And like, that's why in the tech capacity that I working, that I was working in, in the past, it wasn't like, I liked the job. I, I, there were things that I liked about it and there were things that I hated about it. But when you start to, when it becomes personal, when there's like a personal reason to do it, then, Oh, I want to support my family. like, Hey, it's actually an outpost of some sort of challenges and struggles that I'm dealing with in my life, or a loss or a trauma that I've endured. All of a sudden, it becomes more mission driven for you. You're you're driven to do things in a different way, and it has a lot more meaning. So, you know, it's it that that's that's a very interesting perspective. Um, there's a lot of things I could comment about in your experience. I mean, it's it's just obviously what you've been able to do is amazing. Um, You know, the thing that you had mentioned about how your, anything can change at any given moment and you've been prepared to be doing that basically 22 years of your life. That's still something, you know, a lot of us are grappling with right now. You know, it's like, I was interviewed by the BBC in the beginning because I am in the containment zone um, in the United States where that one-mile radius of shutting down businesses because of our community outbreak. And I had said to the guy that it's basically akin to like being all of a sudden you're fine and then there's this car crash and the whole world kind of shakes around you. And the reason why I used that particular description is because everything... I mean, you know, there were a thousand of us about who were in this quarantine, but the rest of the world was still spinning and it was so difficult for me mentally to have to deal with this unrest that was you know no fault of my own, although I was involved in it uh, but like you know it, and all of a sudden the, it was it was very difficult for everybody socially to be still doing things. The gyms were still open. I couldn't go to the gym. It was very upsetting. And and all of a sudden I was ready to go to the gym and then the rest of the world shuts down. So thankfully I would say I'm glad that everybody caught up. (laughs) (laughs) It's selfish, but at the same time, you know, yeah, you like but you had that preparation. So I never had that preparation. And yeah, in the rest of the world, I'm glad everybody's having I don't know if I could call it preparation. We weren't prepared for this. I definitely wasn't prepared for this. People, it started to make its way into the news after it happened in my community. So you kind of had more of a warning than I did um, as far as the United States residents. New York City residents should definitely have shut down when we did. But nonetheless, that didn't happen. And that was probably why, you know, we have 100,000 plus deaths in the country. But I'm going to leave my political feelings aside (laughs) for this. Uh, And just to say that, you know, you have like that's resilience for you. You know, you're able to kind of shake things differently at a moment's notice. And for me, I would say it has taken probably two and a half months for me to kind of get some sense of normalcy. And it's still very difficult. You know, like I schedule these podcasts between my kids classes. My kids have class pretty much every hour on the hour. So, uh, you know, they'll have a class in, from, from where, when we're talking in about 20 minutes. And, you know, I have to get them back in the room and we put them back on the, on the computers here. Cause that's, you know, our setup <laughs> there, they work with me in the office, but I have to kick them out for this. This is the dynamic. It's so difficult. I still try to make sure the podcast is happening. I would say I'm showing up. I'm not showing up the way that I used to be because it's just mentally, it's so difficult to do. And you were obviously, you have many years of practice of that. And, um, so kudos to you and you're, that you're able to do it. And the attitude that you have is amazing. Well, and
1: one thing. I think has been such a blessing of the COVID stay at home stuff is that I think as professionals, we were all trying to hide the fact that we had children and families prior to this. And now it's just like, everybody's kids are all over them in every business situation you're in, because we're all at home and all our kids are at home. And, you know, everybody's together. And, I think that that has made a huge difference in kind of leveling the playing field of, you know, people with kids, without kids, with neighbors, you know, it's like, even my friends who don't have children, they have dogs at home and the dog's barking or someone comes to the door when they on an important business call, you know, it's just like all of a sudden we've just become more human with each other. And I, I think that's a really really good thing because I have always shared my son's story and he shares his own story as well now that he's an adult and I have full permission from him to share. Um, but other people haven't been as willing to share what it's like to be a mom, um, and, and how that's influenced the rest of their lives and and their business lives. So I think that's a benefit, um, that has happened because of this COVID. I also think that the whole fact that we've all had to slow down so much, I know it's made me think about what do I really want to do? What really matters to me? Where do I really want to spend my time? And who do I really want to spend that time with? Where before we were kind of on that hamster wheel and we were all just going, going, going and, we weren't really thinking about what we were doing. We were just pushing forward with whatever was, was going on around us. And I know we have, just from a food perspective, our family has totally changed the way we source our food. We now um, buy restaurant-grade meats because here in Texas, we're able to buy um, uncooked food now from restaurants. So you can get meats from restaurant suppliers and stuff like that. So we do that. We get a farm box every week, which is locally grown um, fruits and vegetables. And that's pretty much what we eat. We, you know, we, we do go to the grocery store occasionally because we've still got to have cereal and milk and um, eggs and butter, but we eat very little processed foods now. And the other thing that I've done is. Um, on the COVID-19 thing. And I also think has been part of my coping strategy in this change. Um, And I've always been really good at self-care, really, really good at self-care. But one thing I've done during the stay at home order is I started exercising a lot and I'm walking like 20,000 steps a day. I started running. I've never run before in my life and I'm 52 and I've never run before in my life. I started running. um, I've started lifting weights. I've lost almost 19 pounds. I've lost 18 and a half pounds. I can't wait. So that's amazing because
0: I've gained the COVID-19 and you've lost the (laughs) COVID-19. So congratulations.
1: Well, I can't wait for the other half pound. That's how I can announce that I've lost the COVID-19. But I am. Um, so, and, it, and I love exercising now. And I never thought I would get to that point. But before when I would try to exercise, I've always been like, well, I really should be doing this. Or, I should be working on my business instead of wasting this time exercising. And um, now I've really made it a priority. And now I'm like, you know what, it's going to be a priority from now on. Um the other thing is I don't really like before you before you continue, you know, the thing about exercise is I think
0: it also gives you a mental clarity boost. It gives you a boost mm-hmm. it, it gives you a boost and it lets you it makes you be more productive at work. So never see that. And I think a lot of people who say, Oh, I'm gonna get to exercise sometime in my life you know, they don't see it, they see it as a deterrent. But for me, when I'm when I'm able to do a run like a four mile run in the morning, I get to work and, and like I feel energized. Yeah, I feel tired and I probably I do have to take a shower because sometimes my body heat isn't regulated the same way it used to be. But like after that, I'm just like let's get this done and I, like it gives me that it propels me forward to kind of uh, be more functional and productive in, in the work that I do.
1: Yeah, so that's so I'm walking or running in the morning and then about about three miles and then at lunchtime I usually do about half a mile to a mile in whatever I'm wearing. The other weird thing about me is I've dressed up every day of the stay at home order. I get, I do the rent the runway and I dress up every single day in business dresses or whatever I would have worn to the office. So I, so I do my, my lunchtime walk and whatever I have on, I'm sure my neighbors think I'm completely crazy. Um, but I walk around the neighborhood and then at about four o'clock, the other thing is now I'm like, really don't want to work past four because past four, I'm not very productive. And so at about four o'clock, I go for another um, couple of miles. Sometimes I'll do like two miles then, and then another mile and a half when it gets a little cooler, because it's really hot here at four. But I'm so, I have so much pent-up energy after working and being in one spot that that I find that helps me so much. And then after that, I'll do a little more work, paperwork kind of stuff, organizational kind of stuff. And then Every, every dinner is a family dinner now because we're all here and we're all at home. So every, every dinner is a family dinner at home. And then I have a couple of glasses of wine and yeah, we watch a movie. Well, that's the other thing. We watch movies every, almost every night. <laughs> so, um, we've really- I, I'm so
0: jealous of your self-care regimen. Like, it's just like, I wish I had all that time. Everything you're doing is, is, is awe-inspiring. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> I want to, I'm moving to Houston. No, I'm not moving to Houston. I don't, I can't run in that weather, but otherwise <laughs> I'm moving to Houston.
1: Well, and my self care that, I mean, I think that's the other benefit of having a kid that's medically complex is it really pushed me to early on in his life to really also prioritize my health because if I'm not healthy, I, I can't take care of him and I have to take care of him. And so but I also, I've I've taken that a bit further than just not being just being healthy. But I also get my nails done, and I love lash lash extensions. I get my lashes done, and um, I do, you know, sit down and watch a movie. And I I used to love to go to movie theaters. I'm afraid movie theaters are the thing of the past. But I used to go to sometimes two three movies a week in the theater, and I would go during the day and oftentimes I'd be the only person there so I could have my iPad out. And when I had an idea, I could jot that down. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm pretty much the queen of self-care.
0: I love it. I love it. Yeah. I'm, I, uh, it's getting hot here today. It was yesterday. was a great day for a run in the middle of the day. Usually the peak peak heat and I was perfect. And I didn't even come home super sweaty, which was very impressive because usually I'll try my sweatband over my head And it will be covered in it'll it'll be drenched it'll be like a pound (laughs) but like yesterday it wasn't and today i go outside and it's muggy and it's like close to 80 and i'm like no because this is the weather this is when once it hits 75, for you, like you're you're probably, I don't know if I'm making you jealous or whatever. Once it hits 75, I say to myself, I can't run outside anymore. I need to use the treadmill. Or I'm going to walk outside instead. And I just committed myself to a 245-mile run in fi- 15 weeks to uh, represent the amount of miles that there are in New York City subway. And basically, it's it's a daily commitment, almost. I mean, it's not really necessarily a daily commitment, but you should be doing this within the 245 miles within this 15 weeks. So I'm at 29.2 miles, which I'm proud of. But yeah, I I don't think I'm going to be doing too many runs. Looking at the upcoming uh, 14-day forecast, the highs are going to be in the 80s and going, I guess they're not even near 90s yet, but it's only got to get worse. So I'm either going to have to do really late night runs when it's quiet and it's hopefully tolerable or I'm in trouble because this is, this is, I need that particular, I, there there is a particular criteria for me to have that momentum. And that is a, that's a non-negotiable one for me. It's, yeah. It's above 75,
1: 630 in the morning.
0: Here. Yeah. Yeah. I say, well, you, you, I would tell you to move to New York, but you told me you're not, you're not coming out. So unfortunately <laughs> I can, I can't, um, plus who's going anywhere right now. Um, exactly. I can't, I can't convince you and I get it. Um, Although, you know, you, you, I don't know about so much about, you did say the humidity, you have pretty high humidity. Humidity here gets pretty bad in the summer. And like you go outside for five seconds and it's you're sticky five, like as soon as you get inside. I grew, I grew up in South Florida and it was, it was even worse there. I just, that's the, tro- you, they, you finally get the tropics weather. And I don't know if I like that, but yeah.
1: My, my Apple watch tells me what the, what the weather was when I do my runs. And so usually in the morning, the humidity is 96 percent. Um, in the afternoon now we're, we're sitting at like 60% humidity, which to us seems really low. (laughs) So, um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty hot and humid.
0: Yeah. I'm looking at my weather right now. Humidity is 70%. It's 78. It feels like 86. So, uh, and there will be rain and a thunderstorm starting in three minutes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So no, this has been really awesome to kind of hear about your story and like, you know, you, you really, you made that conversation flow very well. So thank you. Thank you. I didn't have to unmute myself too much to, <laughs> to, uh, yeah, I had to mute my, we're, we're, I'm still learning, uh, podcast listeners, I'm still learning how to make this, the, the podcast sound optimal. So muting myself has been helpful. Um, and I didn't have to do that too much, uh, cause you, you had a lot to say and a lot of really good insights and I'm glad, you know, we're, we're able to keep that conversation going. Um, so I'm going to leave you with, uh, one question. You probably have heard this before, maybe you haven't, but, um, if you're, if you've listened to previous ones, you do know that, you know, my last question that that is, if you can give your earlier self, I don't know, maybe if it's within the last 22 years, or maybe it's 23 plus years, uh, ago, what would you tell her if you can give advice to your previous self? So
1: Definitely. I would tell my earlier self that, well, I kind of have two things. I have a serious thing and a funny thing. So my serious thing is that I wish I could tell my younger self that I wasn't in control of everything. And then that, that's okay. Like we, that the universe has our back and we, and the universe is guiding or God or whatever you want to call it, um, is guiding where we're going to go. And we don't have to feel like we have to take control of every single thing in our lives. And I didn't learn that. Uh, well, I've, I've learned it over the past 22 years, more and more and more. Um, and it, it hit me like a ton of bricks when I was pregnant with Henry and was suddenly went from 60 to zero um, when I was put on bed rest and, during my pregnancy. Um, and I had planned to work until like the minute he was delivered um, and then go back to work like two weeks later that was my plan um and obviously none of that happened and it was very hard on me from a mental health perspective when i was hit with that because i did think i was in control and i suddenly realized i wasn't um and then over the years i've realized um that i'm really not in control of much and to i've learned to not resist um what really needs to happen in the world and that i'm a vehicle for that and obviously we all have to make good decisions and move forward and all of that, but um, that we're really not in control. So that's my serious thing. And my funny thing that I always tell people is I grew up with just a sister and in a pretty feminine household. I had a dad um, who was wonderful and very hands-on, but really more, he was, he was an academic and not into sports or anything like that. And so I didn't grow up Around a lot of male energy, and I didn't understand men or boys, and so I would like my feelings were would really be hurt if you know if like there was some Sadie Hawkins dance or whatever, and he, as a girl, you had to ask a boy to the dance, and if they said no, or I, I don't even know that that ever happened or more. It was like a a fear that it might happen, and then I had boys, I have sons. And I'm like, oh, if I would have only realized how boys actually think about things when I was a girl dating, boy, would my life have been different. Because, you know, like my kids, they'll ask somebody out. And if they say no, they just like move on to the next person. It is like so, you know, no big deal, no drama. And, you know, they really don't care what a girl has like what her clothes are, or what her hair and makeup is. Like they really don't care about any of that. So I wish I would have known that as my younger self as well.
0: Yeah. I like that. Um, it's funny cause you, you know, I, I think, I think I could tie in your two uh, takeaways that you're not in control and that, you know, moving on, you know, a lot of people, I, I think we overthink what's going on in the world. Um, we, I ultimately, I think it comes down to one thing, attitude and, we, we have to realize, I mean, our lives on this earth are really short um, and, you know, there could be a massive fallout, but at the end of the day, if, if, if on you and at the end of the day, don't internalize that as much because, yeah, I'm, who knows? In that particular case, it could be something you're controlling, of, something you're not putting that aside. Um, you know, everybody moves on eventually. And right now we're in COVID, COVID chaos. We're in George Floyd insanity. And yet, I, this is definitely going to leave a dent more than anything other things in the world. But, like, you know, your 15 minutes of fame, that could be not necessarily the best press. It's something that, like, I mean, people might remember for a few years. Maybe, maybe there will be a book or two written about it, if that. And just think about, like, a generation from now, is anyone going to care? <laughs> like, the, the think about the legacy you're leaving and what you're doing for everything today, Uh, If if you start to have that perspective, at the end of the day, you don't overthink things as much and it becomes a lot easier and you'll, there will be things where, yeah, you'll have to recognize that you don't have the control, but yeah, that, that more blase attitude um, makes approaching some of your biggest fears a lot less uh, painful. So maybe I could add that to that.
1: Yeah, I agree. And everything's relative. And as they say, this too shall pass.
0: Exactly. And that's never a bad thing, even in the best of contexts. (laughs) Yep. All right. Well, thank you so much, Betsy. This has been amazing. Thank you all again for tuning in.
1: This is your host, Tamar Weinberg of the Common Sense Podcast. Till next time.